You are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. Well, amen. Amen. It's good to be in the Lord's house. and Good to be here today. You know, when we were singing that song, yeah, How Sweet to Hold a Newborn Baby, for some of you, you've probably seen Andy Watts, who was for years a fixture. I can remember when Andy Watts was sitting up here with green hair, then purple hair. You never knew what color hair he was going to bring to the sanctuary. Uh, went on to become our drummer, went on to become uh, uh, an individual that God used in our church. Now he's a minister of youth at a church in Brandon. But this past week, Andy uh, had, a, had a little girl, and he's now dad, and uh, I get tickled. I've corresponded back and forth with him, congratulate him. But you know, a lot of times we live in a world, we think, you know, it, I don't know about bringing a child into this world. I always laugh and say, I'm sure Amram and Jochebed, when they took their newborn and pushed him out into the Nile River, they might have been thinking the same thing. But thank God they brought Moses into the world. And uh, my friend, God is in control. He's sovereign. And never be worried about bringing children into the world. You serve a great God. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We love you. We give you all the glory and honor. God, you're sovereign. That word sovereign means that, that you reign. And Lord... Uh, I've heard the old statement said that when we look in the face of a newborn baby, it's God's opinion that the world should go on. Lord, we know things seem to be uh, unsettled right now. We know that, Lord, we look across this great land, this country, we see a lot of unrest, and Lord, we wonder, God, um, I'm so worried for my children, my grandchildren. But God, your people have often brought Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Moses. Jesus was brought into the world in the midst of Roman occupation, an empire that controlled the world, a Caesar that was unfilling and unconcerned. Lord, you are the one that governs this world. We can trust you. So Lord, for every parent of every young child who today may be worried, May they walk this parenting out by faith. May they understand that these children are loved and guarded and watched over by God. We pray, dear Lord, that we understand that through our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we can trust you. Now, Lord, I pray that you would cleanse me, forgive me. Lord, take away any thought, any deed, any word. Let me be a tool in your hand. Pray that hearts would be sensitive and receptive to your word. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, amen. I want you to remain standing. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We're looking at one verse, but from there we're kind of using that as a launching pad to go to a lot of other, a lot of other verses. Jeffrey, Dwayne, thank you so much for worship. It's always good to gather and worship together, and uh, there's nothing better than corporate worship. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13. I had a preacher ask me a question. I want you to think about this for a moment. And I've got a little bit of asthma. I battle a little bit. So if you see me chewing gum, I don't mean it disrespectful. It's just simply a way to keep me from getting that old dry, hacky cough. Uh, I feel like an NFL coach on the sideline, uh, uh, you know, chomping gum, but uh, in some ways it keeps me from coughing. But a preacher asked me this uh, past week. He said, you know, define, give me a good illustration for courage. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute, courage. Uh, you know, we always think of Wizard of Oz and, you know, the lion. If I were king of the forest. You know, he wanted courage. And uh, you remember his battle to try to find that courage. But uh, this particular preacher was asking me, and I laughed because this past week while I was traveling, 
I, I listened to Neil Armstrong's biography. It's a fascinating biography. It's the story of Neil Armstrong, the first man. It's titled First Man, and it's about the first man on the moon. And my dad worked for NASA, so I've always loved space exploration. And as I listened to this, I kind of laughed because I was thinking about that courage. And Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldridge, when they're, Buzz Aldrin, when they're on that lunar module, you have to understand these guys are on something that looks like that stool. They're looking out these small triangular windows and they're looking for a place to land on the, for the first time on the moon. And remember John F. Kennedy, in, before his death, had challenged us as a nation that we would be the first to land on the moon, that we would beat out the Soviets. The Soviets had actually tried and had sent a spaceship up and literally it crashed, I think, on the, on the moon. They tried to beat us by putting an uh, unmanned craft up there and didn't do it. But here's Neil Armstrong, and he's the commander of this mission. Mike Collins is, is in the orbit of the moon waiting to pick them up. And so these men are standing up in a position about like this, and Neil Armstrong is looking for a place to land. Now, everybody listen closely. They had what looked like a single jet engine on that lunar module. And so as they're flying along, they know down to the second how much time they have if that lunar module, if they've not found a place to land on the moon, and the entire world is watching. If they do not find a place to land that, and they come down to that last second, they've got to go back up, they've got to abort the mission. They get down to a matter of seconds, and they finally find a place dodging the boulders, seeing the sea of tranquility, and there they land. And this preacher said, what do you think the definition of courage is? And I laughed. I said, when Neil Armstrong killed the engine. Man, it doesn't matter if you're a member of AARP, they're not coming that far. <laughs> Eric Rogers doesn't have a shop up there to take care of your breakdown if you break down on the moon. Imagine that killing the engine. One of the documentaries that was done, the switch actually broke that manned the, that fired the engine back up. It actually broke off in the lunar module. And Buzz Aldrin was trying to take a pin or what looked like a pin to try to flip the switch so that the engine would fire back up. And Neil Armstrong even alluded to the fact that cutting the engine off was a monumental moment because in that moment you realize we're here. And you're thinking to yourself, and in fact, they have, to, they have to sleep for a while before they actually go out. Neil Armstrong said there wasn't no sleeping. You know, courage. And let me tell you something. It takes a lot of courage to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, amen. We're living in a spiritual wilderness. And I titled this message last week, Survival Tools for the Christian in Today's spiritual wilderness. It is hard to live out the faith in the day that you and I are living in today. And, and this is kind of a part two. Last week we basically said that, um, you know, as we looked at this, that Paul is writing to this church at Corinth. And Corinth was a problem child. It was a problem church. Paul wrote four letters. First and second Corinthians are the largest letters in the entire New Testament. This is a problem church. They had a lot of problems. Paul in 1 Corinthians deals with a multiplicity of all kinds of issues. This was a very carnal, earthy, I mean, this was a rough bunch of people. When you have to tell them not to get drunk at the Lord's Supper, things are not good. So Paul is writing this letter. He's writing from Ephesus, which was on a trade route between Ephesus and Corinth, and he's writing this letter. And as he's ending in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 13, we said it's kind of like, like a parent sending their kid off to kindergarten, elementary school, high school, and then finally when you send them off to college and you're giving them all these last-minute instructions. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be men of courage, be strong, do everything in love. So 1 Corinthians 16, 13 and 14, let's look at it again. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be men of courage, be strong, do everything in love. Ladies, listen, if you're parenting and raising your children, that would be a good passage of scripture to put up in front of you and your husband and your family as you're trying to raise your kids. That'd be good counsel as you're sending kids off. We were talking about Kenzie going to Mercer University, and I was talking to Alan, and Alan and I were talking back and forth in the Sunday school lesson about how difficult it is when you send your children off to college. That's a good verse, couple of verses to give you kids. Well, let's pray again. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We give you all the glory. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Now, we said last week that Paul says, be on your guard. In other words, it's a word that's used 22 times in the New Testament. It means to be alert, to be vigilant, to be watchful, to be on your guard. And the implication is, is now listen, is because you and I have a threat. We have a danger out there. We have an enemy out there. You're, listen, everybody listen closely. Your enemy, Satan, Lucifer, the light bearer, which is what Lucifer means. The, listen, Diabolos, the devil, the slanderer, the accuser of the brethren. He got up this morning determined to trip you up. You know, I said last week, every parent needs to sit their children down and talk to them about a good doctrine understanding, a good doctrinal understanding of the theology of evil and even of Satan. Now, I'm not saying you scare your kids. I'm saying you give a good biblical definition of who your enemy is. Now, we said this last week. Paul said you'd be on your guard to the church, be on the alert, be watchful, be vigilant. He wasn't the only one that said that. Peter said that as well. But we said this, we have two enemies, and the first enemy is who? Yourself. No, your first enemy is yourself. Now, I know that's hard to believe, but my friend, when you and I get up in the morning, we've got an enemy, and that enemy is ourselves. You say, well, wait a minute, what do you mean? I mean that your flesh and my flesh, this old carnal fallen, depraved nature that you and I have, listen, it doesn't leave. It's still there. Paul said, you and I, we've got, a, we've got a treasure, but Paul said it's in an earthen vessel. So every day when you and I get up, we have to understand that we've got this spiritual war that is taking place. In fact, let, let, go, over, go over to Galatians 5. Take a right. Go over to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17. Watch what Paul says here. Paul says this, because listen, you and I, by our carnal flesh, listen closely, as the song says, we're prone to wonder. Right? Just because you gave your life to Christ, just because you became a Christian doesn't mean that you don't battle with sin. You don't battle with temptation. You're still battling with that old carnal, fleshly, fallen nature. You've got the treasure, which means you've got God's Holy Spirit, but it's living in that thing. And buddy, it is all hell inside, day to day, as you and I are making decisions. Your enemy wants to wreak havoc where? In your what? In your heart and in your mind. So Galatians 5, 16 and 17, watch what Paul says. He said, so I say, live by the Spirit. Now watch that. Live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of what? Of the sinful nature. Paul's writing to believers. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to the churches that are scattered across Galatia. He's saying to them, listen, you've got two natures. They're at war with one another. And he says you better live by the Spirit because if you don't, you're going to be living by the flesh. Watch what he says in verse 17. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, the spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature. Now, here it is. Underline that. Dog ear that page. They are in conflict with each other 
so that you do what you do not want to do. Paul said that in Romans 7. He said, the things I know to do, I don't do. The things I know I shouldn't do, I do. A wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death. When the Holy Spirit comes to live in you and I, the Holy Spirit is trying to take over the command center, the heart, the mind, so that you and I begin to make decisions that are in keeping with God's will. But listen, we've got these two spiritual we got these two natures battling. You've got your flesh, you've got your spirit, and they're at war. I wrote down here, and they are not peacefully coexisting. Remember what we said last week? When you became a Christian, when you repented of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ, listen, everybody listen, Jesus took up residence in your life. There are two baptisms, baptisma, there's two immersions. Number one, when you repented of your sin, put your faith in Jesus Christ, you were placed in, baptized, immersed into the body of Christ. You as a believer, as a Christian, are now in the church, in the body of Christ. You're in the body of Christ. When you stand before God in judgment, guess what? God's not going to see you. He's going to see his son. You're robed in his righteousness, not yours. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Jesus took up residence in your heart, the control center. The heart's the control center. But the treasure, his Holy Spirit, is in an earthly, fleshly, carnal container, and both of them are seeking to be Lord. Let me say that again. God's indwelling Holy Spirit in you is seeking to be the Lord of your life, which means master in control, making the decisions, calling the shots. But you have a flesh, a fallen carnal nature, and I do, that is also trying to be Lord, be master, and call the shots. Do you feel that inside? You feel that battle? And then secondly, we said this. We also have a second enemy, and that's the enemy you said it a moment ago. Who is that? It's Satan. It's the devil. You see, the devil, the accuser of the brethren, the father of lies, Lucifer, the light bearer, the one who seeks to, he seeks to capitalize on the battle I just told you about a moment ago. Your enemy, the devil, Satan, is working in cahoots with your flesh carnal nature to overthrow the Holy Spirit and thereby to be calling the shots. Satan is working in cooperation with the flesh why? Because your enemy, the devil, knows that you and I are prone to wonder. Right? You remember I quoted this out of C.S. Lewis. He called it the Screwtape Letters. It's a fascinating book in spiritual warfare. He kind of opened up and allows the believer to see this thing of spiritual warfare. And he has an older demon teaching a younger demon. The older demon says to the younger demon, whatever their bodies do. Now he's teaching them a principle, the younger demon about a principle about you and I. He says, whatever their bodies do affects their souls. Let me say that again. Whatever our body does affects our soul, whatever it is. Do you hear that? So Paul said here to the first Corinthians, to the Corinthians, he said, listen, be on your guard. Now from there we went over, from Galatians, take a right and go to 1 Peter. Go all the way over, on over, past some of Paul's letters. Keep going over there past Hebrews and come to, come to 1 Peter chapter 5. You remember this? Keep going past James. You'll come to 1 Peter chapter 5, all the way almost to the back of your Bible. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. Now here we go. We've got two enemies. What's the first enemy? Who's the first enemy? Ourselves. Second enemy. Who's the second enemy? Satan. Now watch what Peter says. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. He says, listen, be self-controlled. We forget that, don't we? Be self-controlled and what? There it is again. What is it? You find this all the way through the Bible. Be on alert. Be watchful. Be be vigilant. Keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open. You know, last week we were going home and Alicia got telling me this story. My skin was just crawling. 
It's about a woman. I don't know if you heard this story about her jogging. Had her child. When she was pushing her carriage, she was jogging, and an individual, a man, jumped out of a vehicle, and they were trying to steal her child, and she was screaming, fighting, doing everything she could. This poor old mom, and they ended up getting the child, but the woman, the woman even wrestled a gun away from the guy. I tell you what, you get a mom cornered when it comes to her babies, you'll have to kill her. But they ended up getting that child, and, and by the end of the day, they were able to locate and find that child. Let me tell you, that's a reason to keep blue. I'm going to tell you something. When it comes to blue, when it comes to law enforcement, who are you going to call when somebody takes your child? Who do you want looking everywhere possible, looking for a vehicle, identifying that vehicle, trying to find your child? That's a good reason for this country to have law enforcement. But listen, we've got an enemy. And that enemy comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy. You've got an enemy. But watch what, watch what Peter says. 1 Peter chapter 5, watch what he says. Be self-controlled and alert. Every parent knows we live in a day where you better be alert. You've got to keep your eyes open. You're watching your children. You're watching them like you never have before. You can no longer do what you did in the past. We're living in a different kind of world. Be self-controlled, alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Somebody trying to kidnap a child, listen, they are looking for a parent that's unattentive, unconcerned, busy doing something else. And listen, for every parent who's listening to me, you can't do that anymore, can you? Be self-controlled, alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him. Resist him. The word there, you remember I told you last week, we get our word antihistamine. Anti means against, anti-Christ, against Christ. Anti is against histamine, or histami is the idea of being against a foreign invader. In other words, what he was saying is resist. You've got an enemy, Satan, and he's trying to get here. He's trying to get here. You've got to resist him. Antihistami. You've got a foreign invader. He's trying to come into your heart, into your mind, into your life, and he'll do whatever he can, and he's in cahoots with the carnal, fleshly, fallen nature. He'll do whatever he can to get in your head, get in your heart. And let me tell you, he'll get in your marriage. He'll get in your role as a parent. He'll get in your role as a grandparent. He'll get in your home. He'll get in your family. He'll get in your business. He'll get in every part of your life. If you don't resist him, you never are told by the Bible to ever run away from the devil. You can't outrun him. And we talked about this. I was reading to you an excerpt out of Steve Taylor, missionary to the Tonga people along the Zambezi River, where he's talking about a lion. And he said, cowardice never wins a battle against a lion. Only courage prevails. If you are attacked, fight back. Never succumb, never try to roll into a ball. That may work with bears in America, but it never works with lions in Africa. Instead, listen to this, look a lion in the eyes. Never turn your back. If you're attacked from the back, try to reposition yourself to meet the, to meet the lion face first. Under no circumstances should you ever fall to the ground, roll into a fetal position, and you should never try to outrun a lion. You can't do it. You've got to, got to turn and face that lion. Peter said, listen, we've got an enemy, Satan, the devil, Diabolos, the slanderer, the accuser of the brethren. You can't outrun him. You better stand in faith in the power of God's indwelling Holy Spirit, and you better take your stand against him. If you don't, my friend, he will wreak havoc in your life. Some old moms need to get up some morning, stand there just like Jim Henry I told you last week. They need to get up in the morning. They need to salute and say, Commander-in-Chief Lord Jesus, I am here today to do your work and stand and listen against the enemy trying to come into your own home. Wow. Resist him. Now, from there, take a right and go over to 1 John chapter 2 because what does the enemy try to do? Look at this. 1 John chapter 2 verse 15 Watch this real quickly. And you know I broke down, I could just see Jesus. I could just see Jesus sitting around uh, late in the evening. And John the Beloved says, how does the devil work? 
I mean, tell me, what is, how does the devil do what he does? Tell me about the enemy. But watch what John says. 1 John 2, two uh, verse 15. Do not, what? There it is right there. What is it? Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Everybody look this way. You don't hear anything else. Hear this. Every choice you and I make is based on one word, love. Bottom line. Men, you know what I'm talking about. Young men, listen to me. You're flipping the channel, and you know what happens. You come to something on TV, on the computer. You come to something that you know in that moment the Holy Spirit is... Holy Spirit saying, wake up, wake up, be alert, be alert, wake up, wake up. You know, because what you're about to store away, ladies, listen, when he takes a picture, it's there forever. Won't you listen to me? Your 13-year-old son gets on a porn site, those pictures, hey, ladies, there's one thing we're different from you, it is that right there. When we see porn, when we see nudity, it's registered, locked away. It's a chemical something about our brain that distinguishes a man from a woman. And ladies, that's why you better be on high alert with the, your phones, with the computers, with those pay channels, with the things that you allow yourself. I was in a place and HBO came on. I stopped and thought, well, this is a pretty good movie. And all of a sudden I heard me saying, hell's box office. You see, your enemy, and so what Jesus has probably told John the Beloved in a conversation, he said, let me explain to you how your enemy works. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Why? Because listen, every decision you and I make is based on who we love. If you love lust, if you love sex, if you love promiscuity, if you love watching pornography, in that moment when it comes up, you make a decision. You make a decision. I don't love Jesus as much as I love this picture. And whatever it is, whatever temptation it may be, that's the way your enemy works. In verse 16, for everything in the world. Now watch this. Every, he's already said, if you and I love the world more than we love him, the love of the Father is not in us. But everything in the world, the cravings of sinful men. Now he begins to give us an idea of what they are. Watch this. Satan comes in three ways. First of all, the desire of the flesh. That's it. What did I tell you again? The enemy knows that you and I are in a fallen nature. He knows we're in a fleshly, carnal body. And listen, he works in unison with that. He works with our flesh. So first of all, you've just got the desires of the flesh. Now let me tell you something. You know what I told our men a little while ago? We, we kind of sum up Satan as to what sins, certain sins. You know, sex. That's, that's a big one. So, you know, we automatically think, well, temptation, especially if you're a man, well, it's sex, nudity, pornography, and those things. But let me ask you something. Have you ever thought, and I've said this before, have you ever thought if your enemy comes to kill, steal, destroy, have you ever thought your enemy's just comfortable to take about 20 years off your life to get you suck a cigarette? Have you ever thought about your enemy just getting you duped enough to where you're just constantly feeding your flesh? You know, now Burger King gives two Whoppers. I love the big African-American guy who says, I'm going to hurry up and drive away before you all change your mind. And now Wendy's gives two Baconators. Listen, your enemy's just as content. If he comes to kill, steal, and destroy, he's just as content to take about 20 years off your life because you did not have the ability to control and bring your diet, your appetite under control. So you know what he does? He doesn't kill you. He just slowly ends your life. You can't get out there and play with the grandkids. <laughs> You're just out there gasping the Hey, cigarette smoking's cool. Alcohol's cool. Drugs are cool. Let me take you around to some of the homeless. Because the vast majority of homeless that we find literally have been duped by the enemy into selling their soul for another bottle of whiskey, another drop of liquor, another shot of crack, another shot of meth, 
We've had people sit in that office and weep and cry and beg you to figure out how to set them free from meth. Moms, grandmothers, that's your enemy. Your enemy uses the desires of the flesh. One writer said this craving is strong enough to cause men and women, listen to, to this, to rebel against the indwelling Holy Spirit and thereby it leads to an insurrection in their soul, a spiritual coup, an attempt to wrestle the control from the indwelling Holy Spirit to the flesh so that you and I are driven not by the desires of the Holy Spirit, but by the desires of our flesh. We finally give up, give in, and give up and say, I, I'm, 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 I'm tired of fighting it. Hey, listen, when you say that, I'm tired of fighting it, that's, that's exactly what, you know what the enemy says? <laughs> the enemy, hey, listen, he dies laughing in hell. He tells the demon, you ever seen, you ever watched, a, you ever watched fighting, boxing? You ever watch these guys fighting? These big guys, brutes fighting? Some of the great classics back years ago, Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier, some of those great fights in Manila. You ever watch these guys, some of these heavyweights when they're fighting? What happens when they finally get that one shot and you see that guy, you know he, he, he hit him. He hit him just right. You watch those legs start going. What are they? They, they just almost look like they can't hold him up. And you're thinking, he's getting ready to go down. Now, everybody listen to me closely. That seasoned fighter, when he connects, and that other guy, his legs are like jello, does he back away and go, okay, let me get back to the corner now? What does he do? What does he do? He turns into a maniac. He, all of a sudden, I mean, you're looking at these big, massive guys. I always think about Ken Norton, as muscular guys. You're looking at... What is it? Uh, George Foreman. I always loved Muhammad Ali. Was sitting on jo Johnny Carson with, with uh, Ken Norton, and they were talking about uh, George Foreman. And Muhammad Ali started laughing and said, I don't want to fight him. And he looked down at Ken Norton and he said, You don't want to fight him. Nobody wants to fight him. Because the guy was just absolutely, George Foreman was like a brick wall. But what happens when he gets that one shot? And that guy's knees begin, and he recognizes, what does he do? He turns into a maniac. He all of a sudden now is pounding with everything in him. Because listen, he knows at this point, he's already halfway there. He pounds him down to the canvas. The, umpire, the ref will, will literally, at a certain point, even though he's going down or down, he'll have to pull him away and pull him away. Because listen, at that point, that's exactly what your enemy Satan is doing in your life. Once he, know he's, once he knows he's hit the right shot, he's weakened you spiritually, he's worked to that point that he sees you beginning to collapse spiritually, he does not back off, he comes with everything that he has. And you know what you do and what I do? We say at that point, we make the mistake of saying, well, I give up, it's no use. And Satan goes, that's it, I got you. You know, he says not only the desires of the flesh, lust of the eyes. Look at it. Lust of the eyes. Let me, get, let me give you something real quickly. Your enemy knows that your eyes are the window to your soul. Right? You know, I used to, I, I used to think about, Sheila and I were talking about David this morning. You remember David? You remember David? Bathsheba was up there on top of the house. She was bathing. David's up there. And he sees Bathsheba. The Bible said he was filled with lust. He looked at her. He gazed at her. He was just so filled with lust that finally he sent one. You remember one of the servants said to him, is this not Uriah's wife? Trying to tell him what you're doing is wrong. Let me tell you something. Listen to me closely. Ladies, men, listen to me. If you're married, you've got a family, listen to me. Let me tell you how to destroy your testimony. Ladies, listen. Let me tell you how to destroy your testimony, your witness, and allow the devil to have full throttle in your home, in your family, and everything. You just swing the door wide open with an affair. I've been doing it 40 years. You can test me on this. You can call me with a breakdown. You can call me with a loss of a parent. 
You can call me with the loss of a child. You can call me, give me any call. You let somebody call me in which sexual uh, promiscuity has taken place in a marriage where there's been an affair, and I can tell you on the two words into the phone call that there's been adultery. You want to destroy a home and a family? My friend, you just start flirting with a relationship outside your marriage and watch what happens. And that's your enemy. He knows that the lust of the eyes is a powerful way to get into your soul and to wreak havoc. And then thirdly, watch what he says. And the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The boasting, or the Bible calls it the pride of life. Listen to some of the translations of pride of life. The life of empty show, pride in possessions, boasting of what a man or a woman has or what he or she does, a braggart about his stuff and his deeds. If the enemy can fill you with boasting, arrogant pride over the stuff you have of this world, then my friend, the enemy has scored big. The worst thing Southern Baptists ever did and the worst thing denominations ever did was start reporting all the numbers. When you start recognizing the guy that baptized the most and you let him be the prima donna at a convention gathering, you can be rest assured that other men out there are doing this. They'll do anything they can to get somebody down the aisle, do anything they can to get somebody baptized so they can be the guy up there. Let me tell you something, parent. Let me give you some good counsel about raising kids. It is not how good your kids are academically. It's not how good they are in sports. It's how close they walk to Christ. That's all that matters. That's it. It's only brag bragging rights you have. And you better be careful with that one too. Because one mistake out of the best child, the most godly gifted young man or young woman, you can raise them up. But as I've heard many a parent weep and cry, I did everything I could to raise them up in the Lord, but they got with the wrong peers, the wrong friendships. I was trying to raise my children. I forgot that my neighbor could care less. Boasting pride of life. And then lastly, eternal security. You know, we call it perseverance of the saints. I always think that's strange. Lauren, I always think that's strange, perseverance of the saints. It's almost like we've got to do something. But I love better the perseverance of the Savior. I love Dr. Ron Herod. He's a preacher friend of mine who's since gone to heaven. Ron Herod had great influence in my life. He said this about eternal security. He said, the blessings of our birthright is beyond comprehension. Now listen to this, hang on this, and impossible to lose. Your birthright as a Christian, born again, spiritual rebirth, listen, is impossible for you and I to lose. Do you believe that? You know, out of all the things I've ever put on Facebook, listen to the thing that got the most response. Listen to it. I don't stand a rat's hair chance of going to heaven outside the grace, mercy, unconditional, unfailing love of God through His Son, Jesus Christ. I don't stand a rat's hair chance. Forty years in ministry, earned doctorate, been on the mission field, Africa, been in Europe, England, pastored for 40 years, done a lot of great things. People come up to me, and they'll sometimes, you know what, something, something, Man, I know, Brother Jeff, you're going to have a mansion in heaven. Hey, listen, I, I'll settle for a broom closet. You know, the truth of the matter is, I may be sitting on a coat crate in the back corner of the, of the worship, and, and Janice McBride, who faithfully has taught little children, may be up on the front. I don't know. Let me tell you, eternal security is everything. If you want to teach your children, teach them to be. Hey, listen, legend and Alicia's responsibility after Caleb's decision is to help him understand eternal security. There's nothing, son, you can do that will ever cause you to be lost. We are God's possession. Therefore, number one, he's able to take care of his property. He is. He allows our faith to be tried and tested just like he did Job, and he will never forsake his child. He will never. Hey, listen, you think that mom 
You think that mom wrestling that gun loose, she bruised up that individual trying to steal her child. She went through a fight. She fought with everything in her. You think that's something Jesus said. You think you fathers know how to love your kids. You don't have no idea. You think that mom's something, you got a loving Lord and Savior who's taken up residence in your heart and anytime the enemy tries to come in, anytime the enemy tries to work with your carnal fleshly fallen nature, you can get ready because the enemy's got to fight. You've got to bind the strong man to take his house. And you listen, Jesus will take you out. He will take you out before he'll relinquish that house. I want you to hear me. He'll take you out. You may say, well, what do you mean by that? Take a, take a right and go over there to the very end. We'll close with this. Look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, Jesus said, John said, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may what? Well, are you saved? Well, I hope so. I've told you before, if I was going to get on an airplane, I'm sure Heather and them made sure their plane was going in the right place when they left. We need to pray for Emily's sister, who they're in Rwanda now, Rwanda, Africa. But it's interesting. He scares me sometimes when he does that. Worship leader sneaks up behind you. But anyway, you can go ahead and stand. I really think the deacons pay the worship leader to come up here a little early and scare me. The reality is, is that right here, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may what? So that you may know that you have eternal life. This is confidence that we have in approaching, that we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. If we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask for. Now watch this, verse 16. If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I am not saying that he should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps him safe, and the evil one cannot harm him. Do you see that? We know that if we are children of God and the whole world is under the control of the evil one, we know also that the Son of God has come and has give us, given us understanding so that we may know who is true. And we are in him who is true, even his Son, Jesus Christ. He's the truth. The Bible talks of sin unto death. Let me illustrate that, and then I'm praying. We said this, when you repent of your sin, give your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit's living where? Where? Right here. Your enemy has two, you have two enemies. The Holy Spirit, the indwelling Holy Spirit has two enemies. Number one, your carnal, fleshly, fallen nature, my carnal, fleshly, fallen nature. The enemy, Satan, your second enemy, uses that to his advantage. The desires of the flesh, lusts of the eyes, the boasting of life. Get you caught up in the things of the world. You got to have the world stuff. Okay? Now, everybody listen. Some may say, well, wait a minute. I know somebody, they say they're a Christian, but they, man, they literally live hell on earth. They just, they are wicked, ungodly, immoral. Let me tell you, number one, either number one, they're not saved. Okay? I want you to listen. Judas spent over three years with Jesus. You know what the Bible called him? The son of perdition son of destruction wasn't saved imagine being with Jesus over three years and not saved they're either not saved number two they're backslidden everybody listen backslidden means this you and I are on the narrow road and it's going right down the middle of the broad road they're all coming this way and, and this is why it's hard you're going against the tide you're going against the world. The world's on its way to hell. The vast majority on their way to hell. And you're walking, you've repented, you were on that road. 
you did a 180 metanoia. You repented, changed your mind, changed your heart, and you started going in the opposite direction. That's why it's so hard. And so you're reading your Bible. You're in prayer. You've developed some of the spiritual disciplines of the faith. You're sharing your faith. You're in the fellowship of other believers. You're singing the songs that we sang. You're a part of corporate worship, and you're inching forward, but then all of a sudden you quit reading your Bible. You quit praying. You get caught up in the things of the world. You're trying to get an education, trying to get a good job. You're spending all your time and effort. You're forgetting about everything, forgetting about your marriage, forgetting about your children. You're starting to do stupid things, flirting around, getting caught up in extramarital relationships. You're just slipping back farther and farther. You see where I'm going? You're all worried, aren't you? I'm, I, you see, I'm backsliding. Now the current of the world is just taking me back. And let me tell you what, folks. You know what God said? You know what Jesus Christ does? Let me tell you where Jesus is. He's here. He's here. And he's here. And when you get right here, there's a point. Listen to me. There's a point. He'll let you backslide to a point. And then finally says, come on. Just come on home. There are people that have ended their life prematurely. I called my dad this morning. I said, Dad... I started talking to him. I could tell something was wrong with him. I said, Dad, you all right? He said, Jeff, he said, my, my neighbor, 34 years old, her and her boyfriend, mother, RN, registered nurse, on her way home from work, her boyfriend picked her up, brought her home on a motorcycle. They were hit and killed. Both of them were killed. And my dad, beautiful young lady, my dad said, Son, it just has been so heavy on me. Listen, you and I, we don't know when we're going to die. We don't know when we're going to die. But I can tell you this much, you and I can backslide, backslide to a point that God says, come on home. Let me close with this. Adrian Rogers illustrates it this way, and I've used it before. Mom, getting the kids ready, you're going to go to a birthday party. And so you, 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 know, you know how moms do, they give this speech. Now kids... When we get there, you better be on your best behavior. I don't want no trouble. Now, there's so-and-so's birthday party, and turn and look and say, now, Titus, do not put your finger in the cake. You know, you, you, you give them all these instructions, and you go through all that, and then you get there, and the first thing Junior does, he runs over there. Junior, I'm not talking about you, buddy. The you, you, first thing that the kid does, he walks over and runs his finger down that birthday cake. Takes a big lick out of it. Mom takes him over and gets down there and says, I told you, I told you not to touch the cake. It's not your birthday. It's her birthday. A few minutes later, look over there and the little girl, birthday girl, she's crying. And she points and says, You pulled my hair. You know, your parents get where they can't talk anymore. Dads are the worst about it. You can't, you're, you're, you're just about to lose it. I told you not to. You can't even talk. You're losing it. Your blood pressure is out of the roof, about to blow the top of your head off. A few minutes later, here's little, here's little Johnny again. He pulls a chair out from under another kid, about to sit down. Kid starts screaming and crying, and mom turns and looks at the other mother, and she says, come on. Johnny, come on. I want to stay. I want to stay with the person. No, no. I warn you. You, you put your finger in the cake, you pulled her pigtails, and now you pull the chair out. No, just come on, come on. And the kid's screaming and all. You know what mom does? Say, come on, get in the car. You know what mom said? This is what mom says. You are not going to embarrass me no more. Just come on home. It's a bad way to go to heaven. Get to heaven, the Lord says, well, I had to bring you on home. You were making such a mess out of your testimony and witness and you were sending so many people to hell by the way you were living, I just had to bring you home before you mess up anymore. My friend, it's not about you. It's about a world that's watching you to determine if what you have is real or not. Do you know him? Do you know him? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we realize, dear Lord, we realize that we, we have a loving Lord and Savior. For many of us in this room, we've repented of our sin. 
We've invited that loving Savior to take up residence in our heart. But, oh, Lord, holiness hurts. It just hurts. There are times, dear Lord, the weight of a post-Christian nation, the weight of a fallen world, the availability of sin, whether it's on a phone, whether it's on a TV, or whether it's just flagrantly out there in the open. Lord, it's so hard to live out the Christian life. Lord, we know we're prone to wonder. We feel that battle within us. And so, Lord, for every believer, every child of God, every Christian who's listening today, whether they're here in this sanctuary, whether they're listening later on Facebook or whatever it may be, Lord, may they understand that sometimes for the believer, we just have to repent. We just have to say, God, I'm sorry. Two men did wrong. One man, one man betrayed Jesus, that was Judas. Another man denied him. He didn't do it one time. He didn't do it two times. He did it three times, and the third time he did it with profanity. One man went out and hung himself. Another man, the Bible said, he wept bitterly and repented. And Peter became a great pillar and part of the early New Testament church. Lord, that's who we want to be. So, Lord, if we need to repent and we need to confess... May we come this morning and just simply spend some time at this altar doing business with the Lord. The Bible says that when you said, how many times did we forgive? You said 70 times 7. And the Bible seems to say that, God, you forgive us. Over. Your mercies are new every morning, every day. Unfailing love, unmerited grace and mercy. God, may every person who's been living for the flesh, may they repent right now and say, Lord, I want to relinquish the control of my life back where it needs to be under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Over 700 times the word Lord is used, far many, many times more so than Savior. For others in this room, the reason they're losing the battle with the world is because they're not saved. Let's admit it. They just walked down the aisle, made a decision, put their name on the church rolls. They just were baptized, but they've been dunked. They've never been saved. They're even living in open rebellion against you or either right now they are coming aware of the fact that when I look in my heart and my mind, I don't see Jesus at all. I remember that day in a church office pastoring my second church when I said to myself, I don't see Jesus in me. And though our church was booming and growing, people being saved, I came down that aisle in Meridian with five other people, walked down after preaching and said, I pray to receive Christ this week. I have to know. I pray if somebody doesn't know, they may know today. Settle it once and for all. And live out the rest of their life just like Heather, just like her and her husband, over in Rwanda. What a joy, what an opportunity to be missionaries on the continent of Africa. What God can do if we'll sell out to Him, if we'll give our hearts and life to Him. God, speak to us, and we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You come. There'll never be a moment like this moment.